I want you to think about the last time you wanted something or wanted to do something so bad, you got it or did it, and were left disappointed. It's a Friday, you're driving home from work, and you are craving a McDouble. You are. So you go to McDonald's, you order a McDouble. Simple order, right? Right. You pay, you get the bag, you don't think to check it. Bad, bad life choice. <laughs> you get about five miles down the road, you're starving, you're gonna eat it now, you pull in. It's not a McDouble, it's a McChicken. Utter disappointment, utter disappointment. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Or maybe you, um, you see a commercial for that new toy, and you want that toy so bad. You get the toy only to realize you wish you would have asked for a different toy because this one stinks, okay? We've all had that experience. I think about a, um, a personal story. It's a true story. I was in college. Me and a buddy were, um, were staying in downtown Chicago. We had just got back from a youth group event at church. And the youth pastor had an extra pizza. He said, hey, do you guys want this? Sure, we'll take it. So we took the extra pizza. Well, we go to park our garage, or our, our car at this uh, five-story parking garage in the middle of downtown Chicago. So we get all the way to the top. And we just had this brilliant idea. What if we throw this pizza off the parking garage? <laughs> Why, you ask? I don't know. Our prefrontal cortex was not fully developed. We were not thinking straight <laughs> at the time. So what did we do? We, we did it. We threw the pizza off the parking garage. I still remember like it was yesterday, leaned over, five stories, tried to do it on a less busy street. So take the pizza, hurl it over, okay? Everything was going right according to plan until, no kidding, true story, I lean over to look at the pizza falling through the air. A police car started pulling down that street. Yeah. It lands on the hood of the police car. <laughs> this is the gospel, y'all, I'm telling you. So, now think. I'm a Bible college student studying to be a pastor. So I did what any, I think, upright, aspiring pastor would do. I proceeded to head to my car, open the trunk, and hid in the trunk. <laughs> I did. And then put on loop, no, I'm no longer a slave to fear, you know? I, I did not get caught, but if that police officer is watching this sermon, I apologize. I really do. I apologize. We all know the feeling, don't we, of strong desire transformed in almost an instant to utter disappointment. We all know that feeling. But perhaps no one in human history understood that feeling more than King Solomon. Solomon was a man in the Bible who desired riches, wisdom, and accomplishments. And here's the crazy thing, he got it all. But at the end of his life, as he looked back on all that he had received and accomplished, he was utterly disappointed. Why? Because Solomon spent most of his life believing three lies. Three lies. Three lies that derailed Solomon and tend to derail us from living a life filled with joy and satisfaction. So if you're here this morning and you want to live a life filled with joy and satisfaction and flourish in this life, 
I encourage you right now, if you haven't already, to open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter one. And let's learn from one of the wisest men to ever live. Look with me, Ecclesiastes chapter one, beginning in verse 12. It says, I the preacher have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Of course, after stating in verses 1 through 11 that life is short, repetitive, and unfulfilling, he now decides to seek and to search all that is done under heaven. What does this mean? This means Solomon is saying he wants to know everything about everything on earth. He wants to accumulate wisdom, which is, there's two Hebrew words for wisdom, if I remember right. One is more about revelatory wisdom from God. The other, which is used here, and usually throughout the book, is, is wisdom according to man. How does the machinery of life work? That's what Solomon's talking about. In other words, Solomon wants to learn as much as he can about life on earth in an effort to find happiness and satisfaction. That's his aim. So what does he do? Well, he goes to the best schools, gets degree after degree, reads countless books, gets a subscription to Harvard Business Review, and voila, he is the smartest man to ever live. Verse 16, says, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And yet, when Solomon looks back at all of that, here's what he says. Look back to verse 13. His evaluation, verse 13, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Why? Verse 14, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. And it is here we find the first lie, Solomon, and we tend to believe, which is this. If I know more, I'll be happy. On the other side of Solomon's pursuit of knowledge and wisdom was not happiness, but disappointment. In fact, the more he learned, the sadder he became. Look at verse 17. It says, and I apply in my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind. In other words, he tried to learn about what it means to be successful and upright in this world, but as he read every self-help book he could find at Barnes and Noble, and as he listened to every Jordan Peterson lecture on YouTube, here's what he found, verse 18. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases in knowledge increases in sorrow. What does this mean? Solomon is saying his pursuit of knowledge made him feel two things. First, it made him angry. Why? Because there are some things in life we just can't know for sure. We just can't. That's what he says in verse 15. Look with me. He has this weird saying. He says, what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. The idea here is that there are some things in life that just can't be figured out. Crooked things can't be made straight, and you can't count what you can't find. That's his point. And and the more Solomon tried to apply his black and white thinking to a world filled with gray, it ticked him off. Why? Because at the end of the day, this broken world we live in often doesn't make sense, does it? 
especially, especially when it comes to death. Look in chapter two, fast forward just a little bit, verse 14. Chapter two, verse 14. He says, the wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet, and yet, I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Have you ever thought about that? That you can be the wisest person to ever live and yet still die before you hit the age 30. And on the other side, you can be the most gnarly, insidious criminal and live till you're 100. Solomon saw that and said, this doesn't make sense to me. Verse 15, then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? In other words, why am I in thousands of dollars in student loan debt when the same thing happens to the high school dropout that happens to me with a PhD? That's kind of what he's saying. Look back, he says, and I said in my heart that this also is vanity, verse 16. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So Solomon observes that you can receive the greatest education in the world, but at the end of the day, it will not help you escape life's greatest problem, death. No one cleps out of death, no one. Solomon's pursuit of knowledge made him angry, but secondly, notice back to verse 18. For in much wisdom is, vex, is much vexation, and he who increases in knowledge increases in sorrow. The more information Solomon took in about the world around him made him more anxious, sad, and depressed. Why? Because more information about the world means more exposure to the brokenness and insanity of it. And it made him just flat out sad. You know, as I was thinking about this week, I thought perhaps, perhaps this shows up in no other place more pertinent for us than in social media. In a recent study conducted by Domo Research, researchers found that approximately every minute, okay, keep that in mind, every minute, the world watches 4.1 YouTube videos, 456,000 tweets are sent on Twitter, 46,740 pictures are uploaded on Instagram, 293,000 posts go up on Facebook, and a million videos are viewed on TikTok every single minute. There is, guys, there is more opportunity to know more about anything and everything today at just the swipe of a finger than any other time in human history. It's amazing. And while on the one hand, yes, it is a great advantage, it's also a great temptation, isn't it? Because social media begs us to believe the lie that if I just know more, I'll be happy. And in the 21st century, scrolling is the new knowing. So what do we do? We scroll endlessly, thinking we need to know about the up-to-date news on the latest political conflict, the current celebrity feud, what our so-called friends are doing, and what new weird decoration Joanna Gaines just made for her house. We gotta know. (laughs) 
But yet, if, if we're just honest and take a step back for a minute, the reason why many of us are addicted to social media is not because we actually enjoy it, but because we're afraid of not knowing. We're afraid of not being in the know and feeling left out when someone says, hey, did you hear about? And then we feel this overwhelming guilt and shame and social exclusion because we, we didn't? Friend, if that's you, I wanna remind you that for most people throughout history, they had no idea what was going on a thousand miles away from them because they had no access to that information. Simply put, it is okay and perhaps more human to be blissfully unaware. Because to be blissfully unaware of what's going on out there, I have found it helps me to be more present right here. And right here is where God has you and me, right here. So here's what I wanna challenge you with today. This summer, take some time off of social media. Just take some time off, maybe a day, maybe a week, maybe a month, maybe all summer. Whatever it might be, I wanna encourage you, take time off of social media to remind your soul more knowledge doesn't deliver more happiness. In fact, you'll probably find the opposite is true. The less you are diving into this beehive of information in social media, the more you find your soul breathing, free, present before the Lord. So let me encourage you to take time away from social media. So Solomon found that the more he learned, the more he tried to know, the more depleted he felt because life in this world is both broken and temporary. So because knowledge didn't work, Solomon decided to try something else to find happiness. Look at chapter two, verse one. He said, okay, let's, that was strike one. Here we go, let's try again. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. Verse two, I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? And it's here we find the second lie, Solomon, and we tend to believe, which is this. If I have more, I'll be happy. Solomon decided since knowing more didn't make him happy, maybe pleasure would. So he gave himself one rule. Verse one, enjoy yourself. Live life to the fullest. Whatever you want, you got it. And that he did. What did he do as a result? Well, he drank a lot of alcohol. Look at verse three. A search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. He built incredible things. Look at verse four. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them all kinds of fruit trees. Verse six, I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. He had so much money, he had entire families serving him and countless amounts of livestock, money, entertainment, and people at his disposal. Look at verse seven. It says, I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, Side note, commentary, um, he got John Legend and Adele to live at his house, for goodness sakes, <laughs> to play on demand. That's what was happening. Look, he continues on, and he had many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. 
So Solomon had accumulated so much that look what he says in verse nine. This is an amazing statement. It says, I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. He's at the top of the top of the food chain. Why? Because verse 10, this was his life's mission statement for a season. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Here is a man who had everything. He had absolutely everything he could ever want. Money, sex, vacation homes, food, entertainment, and yet, after he got it all, he said, verse 11, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity in his striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. To put it another way, Solomon learned the paradox of hedonism. The more you chase pleasure, the less you find it. Brothers and sisters, this is a great reminder for us this morning because everything in the world tells us if you just have a bigger house, have more in your checking account, have more vacations, have more things, you'll be happier. Everything's telling us that, guys. And if we're not careful to check ourselves on this, we will end up becoming Christians more passionate about the great accumulation than the great commission. Theologian David Gibson captured this well when he writes the following, quote, people who follow Jesus often lose sight of the world to come. We become resident Christians rather than nomadic Christians. We become fully integrated in this world rather than viewing ourselves as passing through. And we do this by living as if our greatest treasures are the here and now. We display our sense of permanence by our lifestyle choices, the homes we live in, the money we spend, the churches we build, the investments we pursue, and the priorities we live for. And then he has this line, if we're not careful, we'll hold the good things of this world too tightly and lavish our affections on them too freely. Notice, he doesn't say all of these things are bad in and of themselves. They're good things. But be careful that the affection tentacles of your heart don't latch onto them to the point that you begin worshiping the created over the creator. A friend of mine once told me after all his years on the mission field, he came back to America and the States, and he said, you know what, Brad? I find that a lot of Western Christian prayers sound something like this. Thank you, God, for my stuff. Please give me more. That's an indictment on all of us, y'all. Because, because we don't ask ourselves this question enough. Am I easily content or am I constantly needing more? Or to put it in another way, if God didn't give me another unnecessary material thing the rest of my life, would I still be happy in Jesus? Or have, or have you slowly over time bought into a vision of Christianity that says you can follow Jesus and still keep up with the Joneses? Solomon says you can spend your life chasing after more, but it will never be enough to make you happy. That's the point. So because knowing more and having more didn't produce happiness, Solomon decides to take a third swing and try one more thing. Look at verse 18. He says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun. 
seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Verse 19, and who knows whether he will be wise or fool? Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. And it's here we find the third and final lie Solomon and we tend to believe, which is this, if I do more, I'll be happy. If I do more, I'll be happy. So Solomon sets his eyes to being industrious, expanding his professional portfolio. So what does he do? He works and works and works, but what did he find back to verse 18? He says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun. Solomon comes to the realization that because he can't escape death, the great business he built and all the wealth and the power he accumulated over his life will one day be given to someone else. And even though he has been wise, there is absolutely absolutely no guarantee it won't all end up in the hands of a fool. And how does he feel about this? Look at verse 20. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Verse 21, here's why. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. After all Solomon had accomplished, and worked for, he is brought to the realization he can't be the CEO forever. He can't. One commentator summarizes this well when he writes, quote, this is a sobering account of the relentless anxiety of the materialist who lives under the shadow of unavoidable death. Solomon works so hard to accomplish so much only to realize at the end of his life he can't take it with him to the grave. This is such a good reminder for those of us who are really ambitious. We wanna make a difference with our lives, don't we? So what do we do? We set out to accomplish as much as we can, as fast as we can. We give blood, sweat, and tears to building beautiful things, companies, organizations, initiatives, coalitions, ministries, and churches. And these are worthy efforts. But if we are giving our lives to accomplishing more and more with the belief that it will make us happy, we are like a person trying to drink water from an empty glass. We will try really hard, but still be left empty and thirsty at the end of the day. And the danger of this, of course, is that if you're not careful, you will one day lay on your deathbed with a wall filled with accolades and a heart filled with regret. Because in the words of Jesus, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? So so here's the encouragement. Be ambitious for Jesus' sake. Work hard. But don't ever trade your soul, your integrity, your family, your friends for your work. Or in the words of a friend of mine, don't give up what's unique, unique to you for something someone else will do. Don't give up what's unique to you for something someone else will do. One day, someone else will have your job. Bank on it. And listen, your employer isn't gonna miss you as much as you think they will. For some of us, our employer's gonna be like, finally at the funeral, you know what I mean? (laughs) 
Someone's gonna replace you at work. But listen, someone else can't replace the role you have in your family, the role you have in the lives of your kids, or the, or the role you have in the lives of the family, family members that you love and the friends you enjoy. Someone else can't replace you in those relationships. One of the saddest things I've ever read was Walter Isaacson's biography of Steve Jobs. Fascinating, but just really sad. Steve Jobs was the founder of Apple, the creator of the iPhone. He was a genius. Isaacson asked Jobs, at the end of the book, he said, what, what are your hopes for this biography? This was a big work. What are your hopes for this biography? At the time, Steve Jobs had pancreatic cancer, not long after he passed away. But Steve Jobs answered Isaacson in saying this. He said, I want my kids to know me. I wasn't always there for them, and I want them to know why and to understand what I did. Would you just think about that for a moment? Here is a man who accomplished so much, but the, at the expense of his kids only ever knowing him through a book. What a tragedy. You know, the irony is, I thought about this this week, the irony is Steve Jobs is a household name, but wasn't known by his own household. Does that sound like a good trade to you? What a tragedy of a life. Solomon's point is don't give up what's unique to you for something someone else will do. You can give your life to accomplishing more and more and more and doing good and beautiful things, but if you do all of those things at the expense of the people around you and walking with God, it's a failure and it will not deliver happiness. That is the point. Now, here's the question. Here's the question. If knowing more, having more, and doing more won't produce happiness, what will? That's the question we're left asking. Solomon gives a short commentary on the answer in verse 24. Look with me. He says, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? So Solomon says, instead of trying to be happy by knowing, having, or doing more, it's better, much better, to just eat, drink, and enjoy all you do and to recognize it all as from the hand of God. That's a good life plan. Look at verse 26. Why should we do this? Well, for to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting. Why? Only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity in a striving after the wind. Solomon says the great paradox of life is that you can spend your life becoming the smartest, richest, and most accomplished person to ever live. But if you don't live your life under the reign and rule of God, you'll end up giving everything you've earned to the one who does. Why? Because as we fast forward, the message of the New Testament is that the God who had everything became nothing. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, living a perfect life in our stead, dying a death on behalf of sinners. 
and then being raised by the power of the Spirit victoriously to new life to secure their redemption. And now, for anyone who follows Jesus, Jesus gives them this promise. This has your name on it if you're following Jesus this morning. Here's the promise. Blessed are the meek. What? Blessed are the people who don't scratch and crawl and climb over people for everything they can get in this life. Why? Everybody else is doing that. Blessed are the meek. Here's why. For they shall inherit the earth. Do you know what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is saying that when when he becomes your treasure, you no longer have to waste your life trying to scratch and claw for everything in this life because at the end of the ages, he's going to hand deliver it to you anyways. Which means if you are here today and you've been chasing after more knowledge, more things, more accomplishments, but still aren't happy, Jesus invites you this morning to come to him. Rather, it's the first or the thousandth time to find in him everything you're looking for because when you embrace Jesus, your soul can't help but say with the psalmist, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So Solomon says to us this morning, instead of chasing after happiness and things under the sun, Why not secure your happiness forever in him who is beyond the sun? Instead of believing the lie that if I know more or have more or do more, I'll be happy, he says, embrace this glorious truth of the New Testament. If I have Jesus, I have everything. If I, listen, if I never learn another thing, if I never get another thing, if I never accomplish Another thing, I can still be happy because my happiness and everything else I need is in Jesus. And because this is true, listen, you know what this means for us? We can stop chasing (laughs) and we can start enjoying life. We don't have to chase any more. Or in the words of Solomon, we are now free to eat, drink, and find enjoyment in all our toil. Theologian David Gibson puts it this way, the way God gives us enjoyment in his gifts is by giving us perspective on ourselves. When we know that the gift is not meant to be a stepping stone to greater things, when we realize we are not meant to rule the world or master our destiny or achieve ultimate gain through our careers, then we discover the joy of God's many gifts to us. Haven't you found that by experience? And those moments where you just have a settled soul in Jesus and you're not chasing after something or wondering what people think about you, you're just loving Jesus and enjoying him, don't you just find that your eyes and your heart are just kind of open to all the good things in your life? If you're like me, when I'm not doing that, you know what I do? I start complaining about all the things I don't have, start envying all the things other people have. But when I'm, when I'm attuned to the spirit of the living God and I'm resting in Jesus, and I'm not chasing anymore, I realize I am drowning in God's goodness. And so are you. Guys, there are so many gifts God has given us in this life to just enjoy. Things like friends, family, food, sprinkle donuts. Why in the world did God create sprinkle donuts? To enjoy them, hello? 
Dr. Pepper? Thank you, Jesus, for Dr. Pepper. Harry Potter? Come on now. For some of you who are like, that's witchcraft, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? How about a French dip sandwich from McAllister's? Thank you. You have great taste, my friend. This is a little bit of a biased list, I think. Um, how about this? A freshly mowed lawn. A, a laugh of a child. A good movie. Or how about this? Just breath. Aren't you thankful to be alive today? I am so thankful. We get to be here together, enjoy one another, look each other in the eye and laugh. What a gift to just enjoy. And listen, all of it is just an appetizer. Whoa. Um, it's all an appetizer of that place God is preparing for his children to enjoy forever. A place marked by unending happiness and satisfaction. Guys, we are going to be ridiculously happy forever in heaven. Ridiculous. I wonder if we're ever going to stop laughing. I really do. And everything in this life that we enjoy is just a reminder of the next. It reminds me of the story of St. Augustine, one of the most influential theologians of all time. He was a lover of beauty. He loved beauty. One day he was sitting on the coast of northern Africa looking at the sunset over the Atlantic Ocean. And the sky was just exploding with colors. He was awestruck. So he sat down and he wrote this in his journal. If these are the joys afforded to sinful men, what does God have in store for those who love him? Whew. Everything we enjoy is just a foretaste of that life that is coming for all of us in Jesus. So Solomon says, instead of chasing for it here in this life, why not just enjoy the good things around you today? Everything we enjoy in this life is meant to remind us of what we will enjoy forever in the next. So this week, my friend, when you're tempted to chase, remind your soul, if I have Jesus, I got everything. Let's pray together. Father, this is just such a good reminder for my, my own soul this morning, how close-minded, how narrow my mind and my heart tends to get and how often I just tend to chase after things that will not satisfy. And I, I pray for myself, for my friends here, that you would help us to really believe that because we have you and you have us, we have everything. And would that just open us to a world of gratitude and joy and satisfaction? Would you help us in Jesus' name? All God's people said, amen.